0: A warm welcome to all the healthy folks out there. I am George Batista, and this is Wellness Talk, and I am, of course, your host and your wellness advocate. Glad you guys could be with me this week. So this week, we've got a lot of new science to go over. First, we're going to talk about eating late. And the article is entitled, Eating Late Increases Hunger, Decreases Calories Burned, and Changes Fat tissue. And this is for Brigham's and Women's Hospital. So this is one of those things that I've talked about for years, as far as uh, eating late, which is a big no-no in my book. And they've done studies on eating late, and they do know that it, it does increase obesity risk, but they didn't know why. So this study, they actually go into specifics exactly why there is a risk of obesity in terms of, you know, you know, as far as eating late or right before bed. So It's going to be very, very interesting information for you. Then we're going to talk about cystic fibrosis. So this article is entitled Cystic Fibrosis Patients Can Benefit from Vitamin Supplements, and this is from Oregon State University. So cystic fibrosis is one of those things that affects 160,000 people worldwide, and uh, it can be a very debilitating illness for people. But There is new hope on this because again, this is brand new information on how vitamin supplements can actually help affect it, especially the inflammation that it causes. So I think this is going to be very beneficial for those, or if you know anyone who's dealing with this, but, um, this is a little more mainstream and you know that when it's mainstream, that actually it makes a bigger difference because it's, you know, it's out there. Right. So very good information on this. Then we're going to talk about playing music in childhood, linked to a sharper mind in old age. And this is from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. So we all know that playing an instrument is a very good thing, especially for the mind, but this is a a definitive study. And they actually, it's very interesting because they found, they, they followed people from when they were kids and then they did tests on them regularly. This was a very long-term study all the way up into the seventies. And they found their, uh, they, you know, they measured their cognitive health, especially those specifically who learned an instrument when they were younger. And I think you'll find the, uh, you know, you'll find it very interesting as far as what they found. Then, uh, finally, we're going to talk about our nutrient spotlight for the week is going to be on leptinol, And that is uh, the wellness resources, premier supplement for weight loss and cardiovascular health great supplement um we're going to talk about what's in it what's not in it obviously and how it can help you if you're dealing with you know wanting to lose weight or and or want to you know have a, a better cholesterol health so we've got a lot of great information to share with you today and uh, just a reminder uh if you go to georgebatista.com you can check out all the articles that we go over And, uh, also again, if you don't want to go specifically to the website, you can actually get these articles emailed to you directly. So all you have to do is sign up on the website. It actually has a link that says sign up for the latest news and, uh, all these articles, as soon as they come out on the site, they'll go directly to your inbox and your email. So this way you can check them out there if you like, however you want to do it, it's your choice. And also you will get a notification that this show has been recorded and it's up so you can check it out on the podcast sites. And, uh, also obviously if you want to watch this show or the replay of this show, you can go to georgebatista.com and check it out there as well. So lots of, uh, lots of choices for you guys, however you want to consume the information. But again, thank you for supporting the show. We really, really appreciate it. All right. So let's get started with today's articles. The first one is eating late increases hunger, decreases calories burned and changes fat tissue again from Brigham and women's Hospital. So Obesity affects approximately 42% of the U.S. population or the U.S. adult population. And it contributes, obviously, to an onset of different illnesses, right? We know, obviously, diabetes and cancer and all different types of conditions. So there was a study here that found that when we eat, it significantly impacts our energy expenditure, our appetite, and molecular pathways, specifically dealing with adipose tissue. And the results of this study were published in Cell Metabolism. So again, they did study this before, but they didn't know exactly what the mechanisms were. So they just knew that there were markers that uh, were increased that um, actually kind of put you more towards gaining weight, but now we're getting into specifics. So let's talk a little bit about it. So their team studied 16 patients with a body mass index in the overweight or obese range. And each participant had two laboratory protocols. Okay, so there's two protocols there. There was one with a strictly scheduled early meal schedule and the other with the exact same meals, but they ate about four hours later. And in the last two or three weeks before starting each of the in-laboratory protocols, participants maintain a fixed sleep and wake schedule. And in the final three days before entering the laboratory, they strictly followed identical diets and meal schedules at home. So in the lab, participants regularly documented their hunger and their appetite. They provided frequent blood samples throughout the day, and their body temperature and their energy expenditure was measured, okay? So uh, to measure how eating affected their molecular pathways uh, involved in in adipogenesis. okay, which is basically how the body stores fat investigators collected uh, biopsies of adipose tissue from a subset of participants during laboratory testing in both the early and the late groups, okay? So they took actual biopsies of their fat tissue, and they studied um, the information from those biopsies on both groups. So let's talk a little bit about what it revealed. So the results reveal that eating later had a profound effect on hunger and appetite-regulating hormones, specifically leptin and ghrelin. Okay, so first of all, let's take a look at that. We know that leptin, I've talked about leptin before on this show. Leptin is the um, is the hormone that basically lets you know that you're full or you have enough energy on hand after you've eaten, right? Ghrelin is the opposite. Ghrelin is what kind of tells you, hey, I'm hungry. We need some food. Okay, so it's specifically... Um, Affected those two hormones. Now, specifically, lep- uh, levels of the hormone leptin, which uh, signals satiety, were decreased across the 24 hours in the late evening condition compared to the early eating conditions. Okay. So, leptin was decreased across the 24 hours in those folks that were eating later. So, that's number one. Also, when participants ate later, They also burned calories at a slower rate and exhibited adipose tissue gene expression towards increased adipogenesis and decreased lipolysis, which means they actually promoted fat growth, okay? So lipolysis is basically the promotion of fat growth. So literally, they saw the opposite happening. So in those folks that ate later, they actually saw these hormones were out of whack and that actually promoted, uh, it promoted them, uh, to, to burn less fat and actually promote the the growth of fat. Very, very interesting, uh, information here. Okay. And here's the thing. They accounted for behavioral and environmental factors, such as physical activity, posture, sleep, and light exposure. So basically what's this saying? It's saying that, you know, something I've talked about on the show many, many times, you do not want to eat late. You want to leave time before you eat or, you know, from when you eat dinner to when you go to sleep, it's extremely important. So I've talked a little bit about it, especially when it comes to leptin and these types of things. So you want to allow 11 to 12 hours between dinner and breakfast. Okay. That's my first, uh, big, you know, step, when it comes to if you want to lose weight okay allow that time this is why it's this is why it's called breakfast right because you break the fast eventually in the morning when you're eating but you're actually in a fasting state when you're sleeping okay never go to bed on a full stomach okay so finish eating dinner at least 3 hours before bed okay why because again when we talk about leptin right one of leptin's main rhythms is it follows a 24 hour cycle okay so leptin levels are highest in the evening hours. So this is because leptin is the conductor. Leptin is actually one of the biggest hormones you have in your body. And it's actually like, uh, it's like the conductor in the orchestra. If you think about it, right. It sets the, it sets the tone for nighttime repair. Leptin is one of the biggest things. It's actually a manager and manages a lot of these processes. It coordinates the timing and the release of things like melatonin, thyroid hormone, uh, growth hormone, sex hormones, Uh, immune system functions, and it helps to carry out a rejuvenating sleep, okay? And it does this while also burning fat at the maximum rate compared to any other time of the day. This is why you want leptin working properly, okay? So one of the things is that if you are constantly eating late, you are not allowing leptin to do its job, and this, this study actually shows it there was a decrease in leptin there was an increase in lipolysis and there was there was a um there was this move not towards burning fat but towards storing fat that's not what you want okay you want the body to burn as much fat as possible while you are sleeping this is key you don't know how many people that i've worked with how many people that i've talked to who just have to have that snack late at night and keep in mind also it's it also um talks, it also kind of speaks to blood sugar as well, right? So for example, if you eat, obviously your blood sugar goes up, okay? Let's say three hours after that meal, typically, depending on the size of the meal, the blood sugar goes back down, you know, to a stabilized, uh, you know, stabilized part, basically stabilizes, right? So now, if you are eating right before you are going to bed, that blood sugar is shooting up, right? Because even if you eat something that is not a sugary snack, you're still going to raise blood sugar at some level. Okay. Here's the issue with that. When you are, when blood sugar gets raised, okay, fat burning stops, right? Fat burning stops because your body's in two modes. It's in one of two modes. It's either fat burning or fat storing, but you can't have both. So number one, you want to get leptin levels right before you go to bed. So that's the key. Make sure you're not eating before you go to bed. Number two, you want to get your blood sugar right. Okay so you want your blood sugar to be at a stabilized level before you go to bed. All this will set the tone for nighttime repair and this way your body will start to switch over and start to get into a burning fat stage as you are sleeping and then as you are waking up in the morning that's when you're pretty much at the highest stage of of fat burning. And that's where you want to be especially if you want to lose weight. So this is key information. This is, uh, those of you who are looking to lose weight, you need to follow this type of regimen as best as possible. And I know, um, you're it's, you know, it's hard for some people because people who are so used to eating before they go to bed, their body's used to this, right? Your body is, um, you train your body basically in how you eat every single day. And then of course, if you're constantly eating right before you go to bed, your body's looking for that. It's looking for those calories. It's looking for that energy so and of course that's also can affect are you sleeping well or you're not sleeping well so there's a whole thing to this this whole mix right so get into the habit of waiting at least three hours from the time you eat dinner or snack to the time you go to bed that's my opinion because it's one of the best ways to lose weight and um just burn fat in my opinion but the science is actually showing showing this now so Anyway, check it out. Um, I think, you know, I know sometimes it can be difficult for those of you who are training yourselves another way, but this is something to really, really take a serious look at when it comes to weight loss. All right, next. Cystic fibrosis patients can benefit from vitamin supplements. And this is from Oregon State University. So This, the findings were published in the journal Nutrients. So again, let's talk a little bit about cystic fibrosis. 160,000 people worldwide suffer from cystic fibrosis, which is characterized by lung inflammation and airway blocking and a a mucus buildup in the airways, right? And um, this, the life shortening condition is associated with persistent lung infection and affects 40,000 people in the United States. Okay, so about one thousand new cases are diagnosed in the U.S. every year, most in patients two or younger. So, unfortunately, a lot of children deal with this uh, illness. Okay, so this is, you know, something we've we've been dealing with for a long time. I mean, there's commercials on it. You see, you know, and a lot of a lot of money has gone to how to deal with this condition. But again, new science on this because they're finding that actually supplements can play a role in this. All right. So let's talk about why, right? One of the big hallmarks of cystic fibrosis is oxidation or inflammation, right? Really inflammation is the the hallmark of pretty much any, any illness, really think about it. That's, that's, that's the kind of the precursor to any illnesses, the inflammation that's built up, right? So, you know, oxidation, and I've talked about this before, oxidation happens when there's an imbalance of, oxidants versus antioxidants in your body. And that's why I talk about making sure that you are getting enough antioxidants in your diet every single day to offset the oxidation that happens every day while you're living, whether you're breathing air, whether you're exercising, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're exposed to chemicals, exposed to bad food, but every single day, just in the process of breathing, you are creating oxidation in your body. And by the way, when you exercise, even though exercise is a great thing, you, you need to exercise. But exercise creates oxidation and creates inflammation. Thus, whatever antioxidant you have on board when you exercise, those antioxidants help to squash the inflammation that you that you uh, created when you exercise, right? So, what you want to do is make sure you are taking even more antioxidants on top of that to build that ac- antioxidant reserve back up to make sure that it's not an imbalance that's the key okay so when you're exercising and I know I'm you know I'm kind of going a little bit uh, aside from the article for a second but I just wanted to kind of set the stage when it comes to antioxidant status versus oxidation have your antioxidants high enough to make sure that you're always bringing down the inflammation that's one of the keys especially if you are a person who is exercising very key all right let's get back to this now so, Cystic fibrosis is also characterized by problems with fat absorption, which limits uptake of vitamin E, a fat-soluble antioxidant. So they have found that when they've given cystic fibrosis patients vitamin E, that they have had problems actually absorbing the vitamin E because of all the oxidative stress that it creates. Okay, so. This is uh, this is very interesting, right? So let's let's talk about the study. In the study, the researchers looked at whether vitamin C supplements could help patients better use their absorbed vitamin E. Vitamins, uh, well, use their absorbed vitamin E. Okay, so vitamin C, what it does is recycles vitamin E in your body. That's why those two need to be taken together, right? In a multivitamin or whatever the case may be. So it it is helpful in to tamp down the oxidative stress aspects of inflammation. So after three and a half weeks of daily 1,000 milligram doses of vitamin C, the patients in this study trended towards lower blood concentrations of a key oxidative stress biomarker. And this biomarker is called Melandi Melandi aldehyde, or MDA. Okay, now Melondi aldehyde is one of the final products in, in polyunsaturated fatty acids peroxidation in the cells. Okay. And so what they found was that the lower concentrations of this aldehyde or MDA tended to slow to actually uh, slow down the vitamin E elimination from the bloodstream. So what happened was is that they found that when they supplemented the vitamin C with the vitamin D, it actually lowered this biomarker, which is MDA, of inflammation, therefore allowing vitamin E to remain longer in the body and therefore actually uh, helped to squash any inflammation that was was going on. Huge, huge information on this, okay? So vitamin C and vitamin E E supplements completely... um, you know, worth the time as far as taking it in if you are dealing with a condition like this. I mean, obviously, when you're a child, it's, it's a little harder, but you know what? Uh, you can, you know, children could benefit from vitamin intake as well, right? So now one of the things they say here, which I thought was very, very interesting, they talked about the use of vitamin C, right? And they're, they're saying that they, that they actually use way more vitamin C than is normal, and normally obtained from a diet, which is true, right? They use 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. Now, here's what's interesting. They said 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C is equivalent to 15 oranges or four, uh, five medium bell peppers. But the researchers suggested that high dose may be beneficial in inflammatory conditions. So I've talked about this a lot on this show. I use vitamin C every single day. Um, I've used, my family have used it when we've dealt with health conditions as far as being sick or whatever the case may be. But the recommended daily allowance of vitamin C is somewhere along the lines of maybe 90 milligrams, if I remember correctly, which is pretty much nothing. But think about this for a second. You would have to consume 15 oranges in order just to get a thousand milligrams of vitamin C. So think about it when you're sick, right? Are you going to eat 15 oranges? I mean, so those, those folks that, you know, and I hear it all the time. A lot of these folks that say, well, you need to get your vitamins or you need to get your vitamin C from food sources. Well, when I'm sick, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take 15 oranges. I'm just not. Okay. I'm going to take a thousand milligrams of vitamin C or more because that's what's, that's what's going to do the job. And that is realistic, right? Um, We're talking about realistic stuff here. So, um, and, and again, this goes back to also what I've talked about on this show from the beginning, my, we're what, 160 episodes in that, you know, you can get as much of these nutrients from your food, but at the end of the day, you need to consume way more food in order just to get the recommended daily allowance of nutrients, which is low to begin with. Instead, just taking a supplement like a multivitamin or a vitamin C tablet or something like that can actually help to just deal with it and you're done. Right, taking those things a day. This is why it is so important to make sure that you are taking your foundational nutrition, your multivitamins, your vitamin C, vitamin D, those types of things. Okay. And it shows it right here. But good information, good science on this cystic fibrosis, again, clamping down on the inflammation that's created, allowing vitamin E to remain longer in the bloodstream, longer in the system. And that can only be a good thing uh, for the cystic fibrosis patients. So check it out. Just another thing to, uh, or another tool to keep in your toolbox. All right. Uh, next we're going to talk about learning music, which is, uh, obviously the key to my heart because those of you, you guys know that I've been a musician for well over 30 years now. And, uh, music is just something I've done since I was a child and it's always been in my home. It's always been a staple of my home in some way, some form or another, and in my my father's side of the family my mother's side of the family can't even play the radio but my father's side of the family they many of them play instruments and many of them have played instruments in the past so this is playing music in childhood linked to a sharper mind in old age a study suggests and this is from the university of edinburgh in scotland so let's talk a little bit about it researchers have found a link between learning a musical instrument in youth and improved thinking skills in old age. People with more experience playing musical instruments showed greater lifetime improvement on a test of cognitive ability than those with the less or no experience. Now, researchers found that this was the case even when accounting for the socioeconomic status, years of education, childhood cognitive ability, and their health in older age. Very, very interesting here. This is, I mean, I, this is, I love this study. This is one of my favorite studies that I've seen. So this was out of the 366 study participants, 117 reported some experience of playing a musical instrument, mostly during childhood and adolescence. And again, I'm reading this directly from the study. The most commonly played uh, instrument was the piano, by the way, I took piano when I was a kid, before I was a drummer, my mother wanted me to play piano. And I did that for about, I want to say a year. And, uh, and I mean, I we talking about maybe I was six or seven years old and I got tired of it and I was doing good too. I was playing with two hands and everything. I was actually learning how to read and all this, but I got tired of it. And then, um, uh, and then I, you know, I did something that my, that drove my mother crazy. I got into the drums. <laughs> But, uh, you know, those of you who are parents of drummers will know that pain. But anyway, so um, there was there was other instruments that were played as well. They played accordions, they played bagpipes, they played guitar and violin. Now, here's what's interesting. The study participants were part of the Lithian Birth Cohort 1936, a group of individuals from Edinburgh and the, and the Lothians born in 1936, who took part in the Scottish Mental Survey of 1947. The individuals were tested on a number of physical and mental functions as they grew older, including retaking the standardized cognitive tests and um, the ones that they took when they were 11 years old, which included questions requiring verbal reasoning, spatial awareness, and numerical analysis, okay? So literally, they're studying people from the 30s all the way up to in their 70s. I mean, amazing stuff here. So let's talk about the study. In the study, the team used statistical models to look for associations between a person's experience of playing a musical instrument and changes in their thinking skills between the ages of 11 and 70. And the university said the findings provided fresh evidence that playing an instrument is associated with small but detectable cognitive benefits over a lifetime. Okay, so they actually found really good uh, evidence to show that their cognitive health was much better because they played the instruments. Very very key. And why is that? Because remember, when you're learning an instrument, you're 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 uh, connecting right neurons, right, in different parts. You're using different parts of the brain when you're dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with learning a musical instrument. Again, I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that, but this is just things you. This is just information that's out there, right? But we know that even people who were in their later years, people especially after they retired, they they started learning instruments. That they actually found that they were cognitively better than they were prior. Why? Because they're actually using parts of their brain that they're not used to using before when you're using, you know, playing an instrument or learning an instrument. Very good information here. So I would suggest uh, parents of kids, if your kids are interested in a a musical instrument, encourage them, let them play, let them get into it, because, um, you know, obviously it's going to help them. It shows that it's going to help them cognitively as they get older they, I mean, I'm, and again, this is just me. I'm not, I'm not seeing this anywhere in a study, but I'm just guessing that it could, uh, when they go to school and when they're taking tests, it could actually maybe help them. Why not? Right. But it's definitely, it definitely, you know, um, impacts different parts of the brain and thinking. And it was interesting because we talked to a gentleman named Kevin Eubanks on the counterpart show, which is on Tuesday nights, Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you check it out. Uh, who's a musician? He was the uh, lead musician for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, those of you who watch Late Night. And he talked about, we actually uh, talked a little bit about it, about how mu- music is not is not um, taught in school as much as it used to be. And it should be because music not only obviously has the impact on the child's brain, but also teaches you about life. It teaches you about working with other other bandmates. It teaches you about solving problems, about, you know, reading music actually um, helps you in, you know, later in life as well. It teaches you all different types of things about life. It's a great thing, you know, and if you think about it at the end of the day, I would rather my kid learn an instrument and enjoy playing a musical instrument than be outside doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? So anyway, my two cents is encourage your kids to play music if they can. And parents... Why not learn the instrument with them? You know, maybe get together and play, make a little band for, with yourselves in the house. My daughter and I have done it. My daughter plays a little guitar. Uh, of course, you guys know I'm a drummer and we jam. We jam many times. And my daughter sings a little bit as well. And um, she loves music, loves listening to music. But, you know, music is healing. Playing an instrument is healing. Learning an instrument is healing. And um, just great evidence on this. So check it out. I think uh, I think the kids... And uh, adults as well will be better for it. All right. Finally, uh, we're going to talk about our nutrient spotlight for this week. And it's going to be on a product called Leptinol. And this is from Wellness Resources. Leptinol is their premier cardiovascular and weight management support supplement. And it contains a potent array of heart-friendly nutrients, all in one soft gel capsule, And it also helps with healthy cholesterol metabolism. So let's talk a little bit about what's in it, okay? So first of all, it actually helps with, it's an excellent nutrient combination for weight management and cardiovascular health, which is what I said. It enhances thyroid function, helps to support healthy cholesterol and blood pressure, and it uh, supports healthy bones and nerves. So what's in it? It's mercury-free omega-3 oil, DHA, along with the omega-6 oil, GLA, Many fish oil supplements contain heavy metals and mercury and other toxins, but this does not, okay? So this fish oil is in the natural triglyceride form that will not oxidize in the capsule and doesn't have any soy or any rancid oils or anything like that. It contains a standardized pomegranate extract and the very powerful antioxidant form of vitamin E tocotrienols. And we talked about vitamin E in the previous uh, article here. But this is a great supplement for you guys to check out. Again, it's called Leptinol. So those of you who are maybe dealing with metabolic syndrome, right? That's all, that's, there are many illnesses where it comes to high lipid level, high sugar levels, being overweight, high triglycerides. This could maybe help support that, right? So check out Leptinol. Again, you can go to uh, myvitaminresource.com to check it out. Just go to the link below if you want to check out Leptinol. But I think it can definitely help you if you're dealing with weight management issues, and or heart issues. Um, It's a good supplement to have in your toolbox. All right, so uh, this week we went over eating late. We talked about the science of actually eating late and why it is not a good thing to eat late, and now we're showing why. We talked about cystic fibrosis, how it can actually be helped with supplements such as vitamin C and vitamin E. This is, again, from Oregon State University. And we talked about music, learning music in childhood, how it can be beneficial to your cognitive health well into your older ages. So make sure you're learning music and um, exploring as much as you can um, and um, helping your child and yourself as well get cognitively healthy. So that's what we got on tap this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you guys as always. Make sure you take care of yourselves and each other. And as always, don't forget, control your health. Have a great week.